this morning, we're in a series called Singleness. Thank you for all you married people who showed up. That's awesome. And uh, I want to start with this in 1 Corinthians. This is Paul. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And in that, Paul kicks up the whole discussion of singleness in the New Testament. And, um, you know, that has been a source of conversation and consternation for 2,000 years. Of course, Paul kind of looked at us married people and went, too bad, lost out. You could be single like me and really doing something significant for the kingdom. Right. And that was kind of his take. Uh, he thought that, uh, that Jesus would return in his lifetime or near the end of his life. And so he thought, why are you dilly dallying around with things like marriage when you could be doing the kingdom stuff? And that uh, just Mitchell's translates uh, paraphrase there. And uh, and so he he had this attitude. And uh, and what we want to do today is be able to take. Uh, and go back with Pam and I and walk through the topic of signals. So would you join us in prayer and we'll we'll launch into that. Father in heaven, thank you so much. We had great fun with this in the first service and I think insightful. And this conversation never goes away. It's been part of your kingdom uh, long all the way back to Abraham and even when you were around and the conversation um, continues today. As we do this, may it be seasoned with grace May it be seasoned with favor. And uh, for those who are single, may it be an encouragement. For those who are married, may it be a reminder. And uh, we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, Let's do a couple things here to kind of set the table. First of all, as I mentioned last week, singleness is not a disease. All right. You do not have a disease if you're single. It's not like you have leprosy. Uh, It is not like you have, um, you know, a rash or something like that, and nobody wants to be by you, uh, you are perfectly fine being single. You just need to know that. And in Jesus' eyes, you're perfectly fine being single, and he delights in you. So uh, I think that's important. Secondly, if you're a single, you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. All right? Often there's this subtle married people really get it and singles don't. Uh, that's not true. A lot of p- singles, you're freed up to go around the world, do missions trips. You can serve in ways that marrieds can't because your time's not constrained by things like family and that sort of stuff. And so in many ways, you can be used in ways that married people can't. And that needs to be underlined and um, highlighted. And then one uh, thing that I think I want to bring up is that you can experience different seasons of singleness in your life, right? So you may be single, then you may be married for a time, and then you may be single again. And we don't often factor that in. So those of us who think, nee, 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 we got it so much better than you, hey, be careful, right? There's different things that can happen. Uh, You know, when you think about singleness, no one really thinks of singleness too much um, from the cradle to age 18, because it's just, you're born with it, right? It's who you are. It's who all your friends are. You don't, know, you don't really even think in terms of singleness. You just think in terms of, oh, this is my life. And, uh, and you look around and you watch and you do different things. It's all you've ever known. From 18 to 22, there begins what I call kind of the awareness factor, that singleness is not just something that I am, but an awareness that singleness is something I must deal with. Uh, It may have started for you back in junior high, high school when your friends started dating and you went, oh, oh, dating. Ooh, uh, maybe I should do that. Okay, and and then as you get into college, right, that becomes a bigger deal. And and usually 
the awareness really begins when your friends start uh, not only dating, but then it dramatically increases when one of your inner circle gets married and you suddenly realize you can't hang out all the time anymore. You ever have a really good friend that got married and you call him up and say, hey, you want to come over? No. No. Uh, can I come over here? No. Uh, well, you want to go and do something? No. And, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, huh, well, I'll be darned. Well, now what do I do? Right? Some of you have had that experience where like, well, you dirty rat, you ain't got married and you screwed up our friendship. What is wrong with you? Right? So you, you kind of run into that. From 22 to 30, the rubber band stretches incrementally tighter for each year that you stay single. Uh, at first, you may not be aware, but suddenly you, you start to feel this, right? As you head towards 30, most, if not all of your friends are getting married or have gotten married. And as a single, you are stuck in an unrelenting and seemingly unending parade of weddings with smiling and well-meaning, but dagger to the heart epithets like you'll be next, right? Or worse, I know somebody who'd be just perfect for you. Then shut up and produce some. Where are they? Don't tell me about it, right? Or worse, the vague but totally unspoken worry that others are wondering, what is wrong with you? You know the old adage, that fish should have been in the net a long time ago, right? What, what's going on here? So uh, there's all that tension. Now, on the flip side of that coin, there's also the very real fact that you can be married and suddenly experience the reality of singleness again. Many have had a spouse die and suddenly find themselves single. Now, we often think about this in terms of elderly people. But there are many people in their 20s, 30s, or 40s who have had the sudden experience of losing a spouse. There are a number of us here who have lost a spouse and suddenly found themselves through no volition of their own, suddenly single again and trying to navigate that experience and territory. Um, others go through a divorce, a type of death and experience singleness again, even if it was unhonored or unasked for. You're just handed a, a slip of paper, and the next thing you know, you're single again, and you didn't have a vote in it. And you're like, ah, and lots of us have wrestled and battled through with that. Um, those in the military often experience uh, long extended seasons apart that kind of mimic and pattern uh, the pattern the um the very similar experience of being single right now, sometimes they're separated six months to a year and suddenly uh your husband or wife is overseas and you're left with the kids hello right and all the single battles that kick up that way but in spite of these ideas and realities the idea has come down and it's an unscriptural idea it is not a, a, a scriptural based idea but somehow the idea that singleness is bad bad god's own quote that is not good for man to be alone used as validation and verification of this okay and if you match that with an intense desire to be married you quickly fall into the why is god blessing others and not me how come he gave them a husband or wife and he hasn't given me a husband or wife and so there's a lot of competition there's a lot of insecurity there's a lot of stuff that boils up uh, in this whole kind of thing um, plus the fact that churches tend to be marriage-centric and family-centric. They have to be. That's the nuclear unit that God put together, and that's just how it works. But it can be really irritating if you're a single. Okay? Good for them. 
right? Fine. You know, and do you ever sit there and just chafe? Um, I know I did when I was single, all right? So uh, the question then has to be asked, okay, well then how is singleness okay? People often ask me when I was single, uh, and I was single till I was 38, did I have the gift of singleness? I said, no. I said, I have the role or station of singleness. I do not have the gift, all right? Um, but there is, there are people who are called to that, all right? A uh, number of places. Let me, let's take a quick look at uh, biblical characters who are singleness. First of all, let's remember that Adam started out as a single. We forget that. But, you know, he was single for quite a while. And you say, how do you know that? Remember, he was charged with the responsibility to name all the animals on the face of the earth. Think about how long that would take you. Right? And how do you come up with a name like platypus? Hey, that took some thought, right? Adam just, just winged through it. He had to, so that, he was single for quite a while. Another person who was single was Moses. He was single till he was 40, right? And then he went out to the desert and uh, his father-in-law met his wife and that sort of stuff. Another person we don't often think of is Miriam. Moses' sister was single. Remember Miriam is the one who protected Moses and when they put him in the basket, she went to Pharaoh's daughter and did all the stuff and made sure he was set up right. Well, all the records indicate that Miriam uh, was single all her life. And she was used mightily by the Lord. Um, Some others who were single, uh, Naomi, Ezekiel, and Anna were all widowers. right, if you remember those stories and uh, they all... Um, had become single and widowers. Some other guys who never got married, Elijah, Elisha, and Jeremiah. Do you think God used those three a little bit? And they were actually called to singleness in their ministry of being a prophet before the Lord um, in that role because of the circumstances and the things that were going on uh, at that time in Israel. Another three that we don't think of, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Uh, we don't think about the fact that Mary and Martha were single. And the indications are that Lazarus also was, because remember when Jesus, when Lazarus had died and Jesus finally showed up and uh, was going to raise him from the dead, remember that uh, in the story you see Mary and Martha, but you have no mention of a spouse or family. And so the indications are that Lazarus also was single. And they were significant in Jesus' life. Matter of fact, three of the people that Jesus loved the most in, during his time down here, on earth were singles this guy was single right and we talked about him a little bit at the beginning of the service but uh, he had a slightly productive life and uh, was in charge of most of the church plants that happened during the new testament era and uh, uh, considered the greatest evangelist um, that ever lived in the history of the world the apostle paul and he um was used by God in incredibly significant ways. And of course, Jesus himself was single, right? And so he knows that path. He knows that journey. He knows to walk with you and he knows how to do it. So uh, what I'm trying to say is there are a number of, and these aren't all of them, but this is a significant uh, slice across the biblical landscape of people who were single and God used in really significant ways significant ways so the question this morning is not what's required of marriage but what is required of singles by the lord in other words what if you're single here this morning what is he asking of you what is what would be the challenge laid out before you let me give you five things number one that you believe in the lord your god with all your heart right 
Doesn't he ask that of you? Now, if you're married, he asks that of you too. But if you're single, he asks you to believe in him with all your heart. Secondly, that you would trust him with all your heart. That you would trust the Lord your God with all your heart. Okay? Not the idea of, well, when I get married, I'll trust him. Because then it will be a lot easier. Married people, is that a fallacy? Boom, blow that out of the water, right? What you didn't learn in singleness, you'll learn in marriage. And what you didn't practice in singleness, you'll practice in marriage. All right. So learning to trust now as you're single comes in very handy uh, later on down the road. Number three, that you obey the Lord your God with all your heart. Whether you're single or married, it does not matter. Obedience is still a very important virtue that is one of the telltale signature imprints of somebody who loves God. You obey him because he's asked you to and he's your Lord. And so you say yes to him, even if it's hard. The third, the fourth one is that you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. All right. This is the idea here. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just doctrine or theology. It's not just uh, being doing things right. It's not although all those things are wonderful and good. What's God really looking for? He's looking for us to love him. All right. And singles, you have a phenomenal capacity to love him because you're not tied to the other distractions of life like so many other people are. Your loneliness, which often is a bane and feels like a curse, often is the great window of opportunity to be able to love the Lord in the way others can't. But he requires that we love him. And then this fifth one I throw in, that you are content in the Lord your God with all your heart. This may be the hardest one in the whole list, depending on where you are and your circumstances in life. But the question is, are you content in your station of life that the Lord has placed you because... That is one of the things that God is looking for. Are we content in the station of life? All right. But what if you uh, truly want to get married and you believe that's part of God's will for your life? Um, what should you look for? What are the parameters? Let's look at two biblical parameters very quickly, and then we'll call Pam up. All right. Uh, number one, biblical parameter number one, if you're single, that the person you marry must be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a Sunday school thing or a pray the prayer five seconds. I got the go to heaven card in my pocket. That's talking about somebody who those five things I showed actually loves the Lord and actually is obedient to the Lord and is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by word, but by heart and deed. All right. Do not compromise on that. I can show you hundreds of couples that did and to their sorrow had to live the next 40 years together and they weren't equally yoked. It's a miserable. You think singleness is miserable? Wait till you get married like that. All right. And then secondly, a huge parameter that God has is no sexual intercourse till after marriage. All right. He's looking for purity. And the reality is, is that in our culture, we've thrown that out the window. And if you're single and you're a Christian, that is like, really? I mean, it's just like back when you're in grade school, but everybody else is doing it. No, everybody else is not doing it, right? There are all kinds of people in this city, in this church, in this country who are not doing it. You just never hear of them, right? But it's really grindingly hard when all the news is that kind of news in our culture. God uh, wants you to be sexually pure. By the way, they just come out with study. I was talking to my friend John Reynolds, and John used to be in my youth group at uh, North Shore, and he's now on staff at Cascade, and we were at a network meeting this week. And he says, Steve, we were doing your, you remember your uh, pre-marriage counseling you did for us? He said, we were doing that this week. 
with other couples. I said, seriously? And he goes, yeah. And he says, they've just come out with a study that verifies what you taught us. He says, remember the, the, the um, pipeline and the cracks in the pipe and all that stuff and the whole bonding issue you talked about? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, they've just come out that when a, a gal has sex with a guy, that uh, a gal's body actually produces pheromones. And when she's having sex with the guy, she bonds with the guys. And she says that's why it explains why a gal who makes love to a bad guy can't dump the guy because she's bonded chemically to the guy. And she, he said that's just like that pipe thing that you talked about. When you taught us, I thought, wow, I had never seen that. He said, yeah, you were talking about that before it ever came out scientifically. So... Kind of interesting. I'm going to get that article and find out what it actually says and and do that. But let's go on to what if you want to be married? Right? What if you're single and you want to be married? What what do you look like? So Pam, I'm going to call my lovely wife Pam up and to give her a hand. She's so excited to do this. All right. Woohoo! And let me set the stage a little bit. So the stage is Pam and I just celebrated our 22nd anniversary together on July 9th. Woohoo! That's exciting. Yeah. So much fun because now we're actually old married. It's so cool. When we first got married, people say, how long you married? 15, 22, 27, 32. Okay. Yeah, that was lame. Uh, but the backdrop to that, I was single till I was 38. Pam was 32. And we were on the same youth staff for eight years and never noticed each other. You notice how you look at somebody and go, uh-huh, uh-uh, um, for both of us. We don't have time to tell you that story but if it weren't for friends especially david and susan weed who were in guff offs this morning in first service as we did this that we probably would have never gotten together and uh and as i said we don't have time to go in the whole story but we definitely feel our marriage would not have happened if it had been for the lord uh there are miraculous circumstances to it and we are incredibly grateful but we'd like you to take you back to when we were single um which is almost as long as we've been married and walk through um, um, what it felt like to be single. So to do that, we're going to start with my wife. So take it away, honey. So I have to say that um, I was pretty content at first on being single, pretty much until I was in my late 20s. Um, In high school, I didn't really date, but I thought, oh, I'll date in college. Well, I didn't really date in college either, but I thought, well, I'll just date after college. Um, But then I would actually date i'd go out on one date but that's pretty much all i did with the person i only gave him one chance um but i kind of justified my singleness and thought well you know i'm gonna finish college and not be distracted and i'm going to start a career and i won't be distracted but um then i started um getting older and by the age of 27 i began to question Oh, am I ever going to get married? Um, When is God going to bring that right guy for me? Um, So I started thinking about myself and realized, you know, I I had high standards and expectations, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I did have that. And I also realized that um, I had a wall of protection around me, and um, that was good in the sense that um, I was protecting myself. Um, I wanted to make sure that I made the right choice and I wanted the right person. So that was okay. However, that wall of protection also prevented me from having relationships. I blocked a lot of people out and kept them at a distance. And so I realized that that was kind of a catch-22 and that was creating some issues. 
Um, my insecurities increased. I uh, felt like I had nothing to offer. Now, that may not necessarily have been true, but it was definitely um, a feeling I had, and so it was true to me. I um, began to um, worry about what other people were thinking. I started thinking that people were asking, well, what's wrong with her? And I started asking myself, well, am I inadequate, or is there something wrong with me? So those were things that I... um, actually were um, going through and and also I was I was lonely I have to say that after a certain point you you are lonely and you you want to change I you know I did want a boyfriend and I did want to get married but um you know I I wasn't and so um but things that I um thought about was that you know I decided I needed to be content on where God had me I needed to understand that you know life isn't always greener on the other side and um, and also life doesn't begin when you get married. And so um, it was definitely worth the wait. All right. My circumstances were a little different. So uh, a matter of fact, radically different from Pam. Uh, I grew up. I was popular in my high school. I dated a lot and uh, went to college, dated a lot. And a lot of it had nothing to do with Jesus, unfortunately. And uh, so when I became a Christian, I was 22, and I knew if I touched one of those girls, God would hit me with a bolt of lightning, right? So I thought, okay, how long is it going to take to become a godly guy? Six months, all right? So I set aside six months. Take notes on this, Anthony. I set aside six months where I would be, shows you what I knew, uh, to become a godly guy, and, and then I would be ready to date a Christian gal, and I'd be ready to be married. I never, ever... Uh, had a doubt that I would be married and married quickly. Uh, my dream was to have kids and have a tractor on a farm and drive around on the tractor with my kids. All right. I, I, I was like, awesome. So when I became Christian, I thought, how much better? It's just going to be great. Shouldn't be that hard. Well, in the middle of that, I ended up moving uh, with Pastor Jan and his wife, Charmin family from Green Bay out to Seattle. All right, so that disrupted things. And when I moved out, one of the, a number of my friends said, be very careful, Steve, because you're going to be the youth pastor in that new church. Because you're the youth pastor, it won't matter who you are, you'll just be the target. And they, you're going to be the target for single gals. So you need to be very careful, um, you know, who you date. So I said, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I thought, well, I better put the same kind of parameter, you know, only I thought I'll wait a year and let's, let's just get our feet on the ground. You know, those of you who moved, right? Get your feet on the ground, make it home. Let's get settled. And then we can start seriously doing that. Uh, Besides my life was fun. I mean, I, it was mountain hiking and cave spelunking and gold dredging and hang gliding. And I was, I was just having a ripping great time. So I just thought, okay, this is going to happen. And uh, so my problem then became at the church was that the church grew pretty rapidly. And in everybody else's eyes, I could get any gal I wanted. The problem from my perspective was I was the guy who could get any gal he wanted, but couldn't get anybody. All right. And so I was caught in a catch 22 different than hers in that um, I couldn't really make relationships work because I had this inner sense from God if I had permission or not, right? And I would see a gal and think, oh, I wonder if she's okay. Nope. You know, God said, nope. Oh, all right, well, that's fine. I wonder if she's okay. Nope. I wonder if she's okay. Nope. And this 
started to go on. And I'm like, well, is there a yes in here? You know, and um, I wasn't too troubled coming through my 20s um, for the most part, uh, simply because um, my dad had got married when he was 30. And so I thought, well, dad got married when he's 30. He had eight kids. So if I get married, I'm 30. Everything's good. And besides that, 30 is the rabbinical age. That's when Jesus started his ministry. So I thought, hey, 30's come. Boom, that's going to be the year. Hallelujah. Let's rock this thing. Here we go. Okay. And uh, so I, I hit 30 with great excitement. And I told my friends, this is the year it's going to happen. Okay. I'm, I'm a man now. I'm the rabbinical age. This is when it's going to really pop. And as you've heard before, 30, 31, 32, this is, what's this? 33, this is not funny anymore. And, uh, and, and what started to happen was that singleness became the desert that I lived in. And I, I say this much to my shame, and singles, don't follow my example, but if I had known there was another five years to that, I probably would have puked out of the Christian life. Okay? Because I was like, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And so... I really started to struggle at about 31, 32. And uh, I found that it was the sword uh, that God used to carve. Now, here's the problem, uh, as I can see in hindsight. I thought I was totally ready. I thought I was fine. I thought I was a great catch. God looked at me and said, dude, you're a wreck. Okay. And I need a couple years to mellow you out so that you'll actually be safe for Pam, all right? And so he's trying to make me safe and I'm agitating and angry because, and I'm not cooperating very well because we have two different goals in sight. And uh, so uh, singleness, I always said that I never wanted to become a whining Israelite in the desert. Uh, but unfortunately, and to my shame, that's exactly what I became. I started to whine. I said, God, you brought me this far to kill me. Uh, I had a massive problem with God's sense of timing on it. Um, I didn't like the lessons he was teaching me. I didn't like being single. Um, I was competitive and all that and felt I had to catch up to all my buddies. And so it was just a miserable uh, stretch for me uh, towards the end there. All right. So now you know about that. Now the question is what to look for. All right. If you're singles, what are you looking for? We'll run that through our filtering screen. So Go ahead, hon. So around age 14, um, God laid on my heart to be watchful for some things. And I started as I was getting older, kind of thinking about the things I wanted in a husband. And um, one of the first things that I definitely wanted in a husband, I wanted a man who put God first. I wanted somebody who loved the Lord as much as I did. That was very, very important to me. But I also wanted a man with his own momentum. That meant I wanted someone who served the Lord and kind of had like a kingdom mindset. I also wanted a man who um, was trustworthy. I wanted to feel safe. I wanted to, I, I had a very great family that I grew up in, and I wanted to feel safe in the family that I was going to uh, make myself. So that was very important. And I also wanted a man who would be faithful in our marriage. I knew that Steve fit that bill when he said that divorce was not going to be an option. I knew that I needed to look at uh, the man's family history because I knew that that history would have a real impact on our marriage and our future family. I also uh, wanted a man that would be fun. 
I wanted someone to have fun with. I, I like having fun, and I wanted to, I liked being happy, and I, you know, I wanted someone who was going to be fun. And then I also um, wanted a man who was going to make me feel special. I really wanted that. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to get a perfect man, because there is nobody perfect out there, but I did want someone who was going to be consistent. Um, And then the last thing was that I learned later that sometimes that person may not be obvious to you. They could be right in front of you, but you just don't see them. Okay. So I would echo that. Uh, I was looking for someone that had a good heart, that loved the Lord. In my particular case, uh, I mentioned earlier the parameters there that uh, you must be a believer in Jesus. Um, And we'll move on to this slide just to move on. But... um, in my case, it was more complicated than that because it couldn't just be a believer. It wasn't even the fact that the person bought into ministry, but they had to buy into what I was called to. And at that time in my life, I was called into youth ministry. Okay? And not a lot of people think that's a great career path. Okay? And they look at the time, they look at the money, and they go, ah, not so much, right? And so I not only had to find a believer, but I had to buy somebody who said, I want to jump into with what you're doing. I, I dated a couple of gals, and I should have known on the very first date, within the very first three questions, it wasn't going to work. Because one of their first questions that they asked me was, how long are you going to do this? Hint, all right? And I went, oh, what? This, this, i.e., when are you going to grow up and get a real job? All right. And I should have said right there, you know what? Thanks so much. But this obviously isn't going to work because you don't get what I'm called to. Uh, But I, you know, I tried to make them work because I was desperate and really great gals. Nothing wrong with them. They're still doing kingdom ministry stuff today, but not the same wavelength. So it started to look really deserty to me when I tried to map uh, that out. But I knew I had to hold to that and I knew uh, I had to stay true to that. And the question this morning, I would say for singles, is what, what do you feel called in the kingdom to do? What's non-negotiable for you? Because that's really important. Because if you get somebody else who has different non-negotiables, it's going to make your marriage very difficult because you're not going to be going in the same direction. And instead of pulling together, it's always going to feel like you're pulling in opposition to each other. And it's really not even wrong half the time. It's just that the foundational call is different. Uh, I dated one gal who's a Christian teacher and marvelous gal is to this day, but she, her teaching was her ministry and she threw herself into it all day long. And the nights were hers because she had to study. She had to prep. She had to do papers and uh, going out on a youth thing was not her idea of fun because that night is when she recharged. And so, you know, uh, another thing I would say is one of the great questions to ask that I was asking that. I got from other people is, do I want this woman to be the mother of my children? Uh, Gals, you'd ask the question, do I want this man to be the father of my children? Because it gets you past the glitz and glamour part of the relationship to say, okay, when we get down to the long haul and the grind and the road together, is that a person I really want to be a parent to my child? And if you see flags in that, do not say, oh, they'll change once we get married. No, 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 no. Okay, they will not. They will stay exactly the same as what you saw. When we say love has rose colored glasses on. Yes, it does, because you saw it, but you didn't acknowledge it. 
right? And then we get married and go, how could he be this way? Well, he didn't change. He was that way before. Okay, you just imagined him being different and he never agreed to that. He agreed to be him, right? Or agreed to be her. So uh, a lot of times we come in with unspoken expectations of what the other person should be and they have no obligation to fulfill that. So conversation on that level uh, is important. And when bringing that up, the question then shifts to, okay, so what do I look for? What do I look out for uh, if I'm a single? And so we'll, we'll kick it back over to Pam. So these are things that were important to me. Some of them are funny and they might not be important to you, but it gives you an idea that sometimes we have to make sure that um, we know what we want and what we're willing to live with. And one of the things that I did not want is I did not want a couch potato. I did not want someone who um, was going to be lazy and just sit around the house all day. I wanted someone who was going to be active and be involved in things that I could be involved in with two. And um, so that was really important. And another thing was I wanted a man who was not going to be moody or needy or even um, angry. I definitely did not want someone who was going to be angry all the time. Um, I wanted a man who had a vision and that I could join in with him. That was important. I wanted someone who had a vision. Um, And so I realized, um, too, that... I needed to not trust my own read on the guy. I needed to bring in um, close friends who could give me the discernment and the approval of um, that person and the relationship. Because if they had red flags, I wanted to know about it. All right. Uh, let's talk about a couple of things there that Pam brought up. First thing is this issue of anger. Often anger is a result of unresolved sin. And one of the things to watch for, what are the unresolved issues in the person that you're dating? Uh, One of the biggest mistakes I see, we'll talk about gals and guys. One of the biggest mistakes I see gals make is they mistake rebellion for confidence. You know, the classic stereotype in our culture is Greece, right? Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, and and she gets won over by the bad guy because he's Mr. Swanky Cool, uh, and that looks that way. But often, re- rebellion is a cover for insecurity and anger. And often, we're, you've heard me say before that um, uh, pornography is anger-based. Okay? And one of the things that gals do not take into is, what are my guy's habits as a single guy? And is he into those kind of things? Because uh, it creates a rage within a guy, a control rage within a guy. And what happens then is if you marry him, that uh, what looked like confidence suddenly now becomes rage. And you end up dealing with a house of rage uh, because uh, no amount that you do can fix it because there's something fueling that. And it has to do with absolutely unrealistic expectations, both sexually and whatever uh, that pornography and the kind of stuff in our culture produces. And so gals, one of the things look for, if a guy's got a pornography problem don't just say well we'll work on that once we're married no 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 you take care of that or we'll never get married okay and you find out if he's got the resolve to move away from it before you marry him uh not get married and then hope it will get better because it will not get better uh for for guys what i see we make a mistake is we look for um uh, uh, gals who have a lot of sassy in their chassis is what i'd call it all right they got a lot of sparkle and dip and they got a lot of glow and we 
equate that to sexuality and sensuality and passion and we think that would be a great gal to be married to. But if you see most gals who are advertising or flaunting, what you're running into is tremendous wounds. You're running into a gal who's been scarred. She's been abused. She's been taken advantage of. She has a hatred for men. And that hatred of men is going to translate directly into your marriage relationship. And it's going to affect the core of your relationship because she doesn't really love you. She really despises you because she despises the way all men have treated her. And she's out to get what she can get from the deal. And she's out to wound the way she's been wounded. And so uh, we really mistake uh, those two things. Uh, second thing is that um, unresolved family issues is something to look out for. What's what's the, the, as you look across the board, what's the landscape of the family look like? One of the reasons Pam and I knew that our marriage would work well is because our two families got along just great. Okay, and we realized instantly, boy, that's a that's a good win. Um, if you don't like their parents and you want to get married anyways, that boy, you should spend some time before you sign that deal and enter in a covenant with the person because the family doesn't go away. They don't disappear. Um, you're going to deal with them in one way or the other all the way through. And so uh, learning what the unresolved issues, which one can be uh, resolved is is really important. Another thing to watch out for, I think, is mental health issues. Uh, things like uh, that we don't often take into consideration. Uh, I would say ones that we would call kind of chronic, like depression, anxiety. Um, do they have schizophrenia? Do they have bipolar issues? Those kind of things. We just think they're a little weird while we're dating them. Then we get married and find out that they're really weird. Okay. Well, the truth is they haven't changed. You're just finally seeing what's actually there. Now, one of the things I tell couples is to get into crisis situations. Often that's with fights. That's not the best way to do it. But get into a place where you're stressed, uh, whether it's an adventure or whatever, and see how the other person reacts under pressure is really a helpful thing there. If uh, We're not talking about perfect people. All of us have issues. But one of the things with health issues is, for example, if you're, the person you're dating has fibromyalgia, this could be guy or gal, and you say, well, uh, it'll be all right. No, it probably won't. It's probably going to be a 40-year walk through that, and they're not going to get better. If they have something like MS or they have something, you can marry them, and if you are committed to that trail, it will work. And I know people who have done that. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is a phenomenal example of that and her husband. But... Um, you've got to be willing to say, I'm willing to walk that trail. Because you can't get halfway through and say, I don't want to walk this trail anymore. All right? Because then you create a whole nother debris field. So uh, learning before the Lord how to measure that and how, how to weigh that is really important. Uh, another thing that we don't talk about much is unresolved financial issues. In the old day, a dad would have a shotgun, look at the guy and say, can you provide for my daughter? And if he could, he'd give permission for them to marry. If he couldn't, he'd say, then grow up, go get a job. When you provide and you can prove you can hold a job, then you can come back and ask the question. Uh, because of all the disintegrated families today in our culture, we don't often ask that question anymore, but it's a very important one. Uh, Pam jokes that she got everything she wanted in a husband except money. All right. And, and 
That, you know, we laugh at that, but the reality is there are certain things, and the question is what's the lifestyle you become accustomed to, and does that person provide the way your dad did or better than or worse than, or how does that stack up or how does that measure? Uh, that's really important. I know one couple got married, and after they were married, six months later, she got three felony warrants in their mailbox for unpaid parking tickets that hadn't been paid, and she didn't know anything about them. Right? Imagine that changes the rhythm a little bit, right? Um, and so a, a poor work history, a poor uh, health history are factors that you've really got to consider and take in because uh, they have a deep impact in terms of things you should look out for uh, before you get married and make sure you know what you're stepping into, make sure you've weighed it, and make sure you've got the Lord's okay on it. Right? If he's told you it's okay to step, then you have permission to step. Am I willing to walk that trail? Then you can walk that trail. Uh, one other thing that we'll add to this because we're running out of time, but one other thing that we would add to this is the issue of timing. So often our timing and the Lord's timing are not in sync whatsoever. All right? um, and that's one of the things I learned. I think Pam learned it. Um, we both thought we'd be married in our early 20s and never in our lifetimes would have told you that we would have waited, uh, that would have lasted till 32 and 38, all right? And, and some of you out there who are wrestling with the Lord's timing, I totally get that. I totally understand that. We totally feel that. We often come back uh, to our single friends and say, hey, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't brought you this far to kill you. He loves you. It's just not timing yet. And you're going to have to breathe on that one and give him, uh, trust him with the timing. And that's what we found is incredibly difficult is trusting the Lord with the timing as a single because it doesn't usually line up the way we think. The last thing we'd like to say on this together is just the faithfulness of the Lord and how faithful he's been to us. So we've been married 22 years now. We can barely remember our single years. We actually thought, oh, this will be easy. Then we had to sit down and actually go through, what did that feel like again? And had to dredge it up. Um, Looking at it now, not a problem at all. Sure, the Lord's faithful. He's awesome. Looking back through the other lens, wow, was that a challenge to put all the eggs in his basket and actually believe that. And both things are going on in our church all at the same time. You've got people who are saying, man, the Lord has been phenomenally faithful to us. And others are going, great, where the heck is he for me? Right? And that's a constant conversation. So married, married, I would say, hey, be kind, be sensitive. Right. Don't throw stupid comments out. I mean, when people did that at weddings and by the time I was 32, I wanted to deck them. Right. Just shut up. I don't need that. That's not helpful. Don't you understand? Uh, And um, and they didn't. They were being kind. Right. They were trying to say helpful things, but it did not come across that way. Um, And so just the the faithfulness of the Lord to come to, to pray with singles, to find out some singles are really content. They're okay. And when we say, well, when are you going to get a guy or when are you going to get a gal, we really mess them up. That's like we should be saying, you know what, that's awesome. How can I pray for you? And why has, that God, why has God made that okay? What, what is your sense of his call on your life that that's okay? Right? And get with him and go, man, that, that's a, I couldn't have done that. You have a faith that I can't match in terms of that. Um, and uh, I think the idea there also of... Um, recognizing the different seasons, right? 
um, because it's very, very hard for those of us who've gone through a divorce. It's very, very hard to have gone through the death of a spouse or like you're in the military and they're gone for nine months to feel like you fit in anymore. No, no, you're us. You're us. Nothing has changed. You have done nothing wrong. You have not sinned. You are okay. Come over to our house. Let's do lunch together. Let's do dinner together. Join us in our community group, right? Come, look, you need somewhere to belong. Come be part of our posse. Come join us in our community group. And that really makes all the difference in the world. All right, we've got to wrap up. I'm going to ask uh, Zach and the team to come forward and uh, lead us in the last song worship. While they're coming up, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Pam and I having a chance to just walk through this for us. Uh, Some incredibly great reminders, some incredibly sour and sobering reminders of um, where we struggled with you, where we doubted, and we can see repercussions of that even in the present day. And Lord, um, I'm sure that uh, this has uh, spoken to everybody else in the room as well. And the reality is you can now take that and have a conversation. That can that conversation's probably been going on for a long time if the person's been single. It's probably been forgotten if we're married. But, um, Lord, you could take that into this week or next week or the next month and have uh, a dialogue together with us about trusting you fully, about uh, trusting you with timing, about... Um, putting all our eggs in your basket and believing. And Lord, we seek you for what you'd want to bring out of this as we've shared and we give that to you with great hope. Ask this in your name. Amen.